So welcome to the second episode of Coaching Youth Football Podcast. Um, a little bit quicker um, on the heels of the first one, mainly because um, I was having a conversation via the Facebook page with Michael Nicol of Brentwood Youth AFC around um, the, uh, the, the practice of clubs moving players up and down um, teams uh, within their own clubs. Um, and we thought um, there was probably hours of conversation to have around this. So we just jumped online. Uh, and here we are. We uh, we are we have our second podcast. So, firstly, Michael, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you, Mike. Pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. If you could just uh, kick us off, perhaps by giving us a bit of a, um, an update on your coaching journey so far, please, Michael. Yeah. So I did my um, my level one. I played football my whole life, and I'm sort of a football crazy, really. So I did my level one in 2007, uh, my level two in 2009, and shortly after that, essentially, I wanted to be a manager. But um, shortly after that, I tore my ACL. So I stopped playing and that sort of hindered it a little bit. And then a, a year later on, I started coaching into men's football at quite a decent standard. And then that sort of fell away after the birth of my first son. And then naturally you sort of fall into taking over their football teams when it all starts. Totally different to... Uh... Absolutely. Absolutely. Poles apart. Funnily enough, I just um, I coached, uh, I helped a friend out yet just last night. Um, coaching a, an under-18s team and my my own team, my regular team at under-12s going into under-13s and the difference was, um, it was an eye-opener, uh, just to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, in terms of the club, so you're at Brentwood Youth AFC. Yes. What is your role or are your roles um, at Brentwood? So, currently, I'm the, I, I head up the under-8s that we've got. We've got five teams currently going into under-9s next year. Um, I got I got that essentially through default because I was the first one to step up, obviously from doing my coaching badges. So I took the I took the first team that come up initially, and then yeah. we've grown it from there to, to five teams across six divisions, looking to go into under nines, obviously seven aside, with hopefully five or six teams across six divisions. So getting some players in over the summer, plus some new players recently have have joined us, which has strengthened the whole squad across. So exactly what we were talking about about moving players across. It's imperative that we do that and and find spaces to boys for the boys to play at the right level. Right. So is that so that so that the club has been founded at under eights and then it's going to grow from there, or there are older age groups already in existence? Oh yes, yeah, so no. It goes so basically it was two clubs that uh, merged in two thousand and sixteen, and then what they've done is there's an academy that starts at four. So they'll be in an academy from like four till until they go to under sevens, and then it goes right the way through to under eighteens. Okay, got it, got it. Yeah. Um, so, in terms of your club's coaching philosophy for for youth football, for sort of up to under eighteens, how would you describe that? So, so, what they do is, you know, we try to, it's football for everyone, but also trying to pitch boys at their right level. So, having them difficult conversations, but making sure that boys are enjoying football and getting the most out of their development uh, whilst playing matches, as opposed to just being bottle holding one side and that that team never changes. We like to be quite fluid. And that goes across from, you know, that will start from under sevens all the way through. It's something that I've always bought into anyway. But, you know, I found the club that follows that philosophy, especially we've got quite a forward thinking club secretary. So, you know, we're always talking and it's definitely the right the right thing for us. OK, so um, I, I always talk about this, um, this spectrum um, that every coach has got between win at all costs and development. And I think every coach is somewhere on that spectrum. Um, would you say then, um, with a football for all uh, philosophy, that um, winning is very much secondary, um, and it's all about sort of fun, enjoyment, inclusion, 
um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds very much w- with a philosophy of football for all that literally anyone can turn up and play. Is that I correct? Mean, it, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it is that. I think I think initially, if you, if you start off like that, you, you'll go down the right direction. Success does come later. I mean, the, the, the actual side that I coach, I've got a, a, a very strong set of boys now, but they're boys that have been with me, you know, for... Two years, we've had guys move up and down. I've had two join that have moved from lower teams up to my side as well. So mm. what it can breed is the success and winning that you want, but you're starting on the right footing with, yeah. the, with the football for all and the enjoyment and the development at first as well. Okay. And could you talk to us a little bit about how you um, how you recruit uh, volunteer coaches and, and, and how important it is to um, to make sure that those coaches have uh, a set of values and beliefs that are aligned with your own uh, coaching uh, philosophy. Oh, I see. It's, it's, it's massively important. I mean, it, it, fluidity is key. I mean, if you've got, it's happened. I've seen it where you know you might have a, a, a club where they might have two or three or four teams, and and one team wants to keep the boys for themselves, and all of a sudden that causes problems in other sides. You might have a boy in the lower team who needs to move up a division. You might have a boy that they might be looking at uh, taking players from elsewhere and they might be too good for a division, but they can't go in that side because that side won't take these players on. And essentially, you know, club age groups have imploded because of it. You know, you yeah. might have a, a, a club of an age group of under eight that's got five sides and now they've got two, purely because someone's trying to lock down one area, one one age group, one team, and they don't want to move. So it's yeah. really important. And, and it's it's made clear, you know, there's numerous discussions that go on because I think it's quite modern thinking on uh, for youth football. But it, for us at, at Brentwood Youth, it, you know, it's imperative. Okay. So, so I, in my experience today... Um, I would say that it's the environment that the club create that, that can cause those problems um, sometimes. So uh, what I mean by that is if you've got uh, if you hire managers who are perhaps more at the win at all costs uh, into the spectrum, um, it's not a real spectrum, but, you know, just to sort of visualise um, yes. sort of different beliefs and, and values that um, every coach has, not saying that one's right and one's wrong, but they're just different and, and people's behaviours are obviously going to be, uh, affected by how what their belief system and, and and you know their values are and if and if winning's really important to them then then they're going to be sort of trying to set up for that so that's i think that's the first thing is is if the coach is a more win at all costs than development type of coach then he's going to want to protect his best players right yeah he's not going to want his best players to move um uh, the, the second thing um i think is that is important is is the environment um set up by the club to favour winning or at least um, uh, celebrate winning a, a little bit too much and, and, you know, versus development. So if if there's an environment amongst the coaches at your club where, um, you know, that winning is seen as the thing that you need to do, then, of course, again, uh, that competitive uh, nature between coaches and not releasing players and all the rest of it can come in. So have you had any experience of that? Um, or is there anything that you can add to that in, in terms of you know the environment at your club? Uh, well, I think what I can add is I think as well that the coaches set the standard. I mean, you know, a lot of it's sort of, or it depends on your personality as well, but the, the coach sets the standard for the team and then that passes on to the parents' reaction on, on the touchline as well. So as long as they understand what you're trying to achieve. I mean, I've been at tournaments recently where you, you face clubs that are win at all costs and the parents are screaming on the touchline. Yeah. Um, it, start, it starts getting ridiculous, but at the same time, if you can if you can generate a, a successful side on the basis that you've started off on the right footing with the developmental side and moving boys around, you are going somewhere. Yeah. You are going places as a club, and hopefully as well, then you can attract more boys 
and by attracting more boys, you know, you will get, there'll, there'll be more more talented boys could come. You have more chance to work with more boys, so you can bring them through yourself as well. So mm. you know, the overall the overall idea of of doing it, and if the coaches they will buy into it, but it's just making sure that they see examples of it working. Um, yeah, which, which which we've done. You know, okay. I, if if we have a problem or if it gets brought up, I can point to a, a two or three examples where I've been thanked afterwards for moving for for moving boys who then love their football again. And that right. sounds silly at seven or eight, but it does happen. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I was going to um, I was going to give you a scenario actually, and and, and um, yeah, I, I've, I've seen this a lot. So so if you're if you're well, well the, I guess the question first is when when you um, you're recruiting uh, your coaches to work with each of those five under eight teams that you have, do yeah. they feel would you they are working for the club and they just happen to be coaching players, or do they feel that that's their team? Um, would you say at Brentwood? Yeah, I, th- I think initially it is their team. I mean, what would happen obviously is you'd coach your boy generally, so it depends yeah. on what you know. It depends on what side your boy is. But over the co- the, the the coaches that we've got and in my age group, especially, they understand what we're trying to do, and there there is flexibility there. Like I could have, you know, we're structured lions, tigers, pumas, leopards, and panthers. So you could have a, a lions being would be the strongest team, but I could have a lion who'd be able to happy to go and play in the puma side. That happened mm. recently, um, so you know, as long as long as that they're happy to, for it to work the other way, which they are, um, you know, it, it should it should work well. I, I said you, I said you earlier, it's, it's bred stability for us because we've been able to move, you know, boys that are you know very strong up. We'd be able to with boys that've got experience at playing at a high level, maybe to be able to express themselves more into another side. But that has actually strengthened that side. Yeah, so it has worked well. So, so I guess um, at a club level, what you're trying to do is you're trying to balance the, um, the the current level of the player with the level of the challenge that they're going to get by um, moving them into different teams. We were talking online earlier, which kind of sparked this podcast in the first place. Um, at a league level, that kind of process happens as well at the younger age groups, right? So yes. under eight, you have... Um, you'll play a number of games, like eight, ten games, and then the league will review it and look at your results and decide whether you're getting an appropriate challenge or whether you need to, as a team, move up or move down. So if you've got um, a five-a-side team, you've got eight boys, and those eight boys have been beaten 5 nil ten times in a row, that the league might decide in that scenario to move them down maybe three leagues. Yes. My question, I guess, is around if you're... So if they're at a league level they're treating that team um, in that way in order to try and give them an appropriate challenge. But then at the club level, you're then also moving boys around in the background. Do you ever get a situation where the league have made a decision based on those eight boys and the last 10 results, but then you've then ended up strengthening in that team, whether on purpose or not, by moving boys around? And then the the team has then got, um, it's too easy for them now because they've been moved down and they've got stronger boys. Well, so that so that did sort of happen to us because we had two teams in the top division, and the the, uh, the one of the sides struggled, so they got moved down uh, one division, then one division again. At the same time, they moved they they would move a boy uh, to to another side as well, but then gain. So what happened was is we'd gain a, a, a player come in who was quite strong. He then joined that side. There was some stability brought in initially. He then was uh, was very good, so he moved into my side. And then I was able to move a player back into that side, and then that side was able to get promoted again into the mid into the second division. So it found it's it found where it should have been really initially, 
mm. uh, just through the stability and moving. Uh, like I said to you, it, it isn't like one or two players every eight weeks. It could be four or five players over a season. Yeah. Um, it's sort of, you know, it's evolution, not revolution, but it's just making sure that, that the boys are enjoying their football and they're developing. And, you know, if you're in that, say, for example, like the top division, it can be fast and hard and the, the chance to play your football has got to be earned as well. And you could get a child, you know, you could get a child in there that just doesn't get to express itself with skills. It might need to take one or, two, you know, two touches instead of that first one to control the ball. And then they don't get to, to learn and develop other ways. So you'd move them around just to ensure yeah. that they can express themselves and, and use their skills. Okay. So um, for, for me, I think with so many things in, in youth football, um, that there's four stakeholders, if you like. There's the players themselves, there's the players' parents, there's the coach, and then there's the club. Um, and it sounds like in terms of the, the philosophy you have at, at Brentwood and um, trying to, to, to get everyone on board with um, moving players around for the players' own benefit, it sounds like, as with so many things, that communication to those four um, stakeholders is really key. Would you, would you agree with that? And, 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 and how do you make sure that everyone's on the same page and has the same expectations uh, and understanding of what's happening at the club? It's paramount. It's absolutely paramount. I mean, the, I know that I know the ideas of, for example, the club secretary, but they're because they're in line with mine. We've got a coach that's affiliated to the football club as well. Um, like I said, she runs a, a futsal club as well. So we 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 definitely along the same lines. But as long as the the managers understand, but then they can vocalise that to the parents. The parents can then they, they relax, so the boys are relaxed of what's going on, and, and that's meant that when we have moved boys around, there hasn't really been an issue because it is a tough, you know, it's a tough decision, and also it's tough for a parent to accept that decision. But if they know the total ethos and what we're trying to implement, it's a, it is a lot easier. So communication is is key, and making sure that you're all on the same page. Yeah. And, and from the players' point of view, we're talking about, um, at your age group anyway, Michael, we're talking about um, under eight, so, so really yes. young lads there. Um, there's also going to be an element, um, I would imagine, I've, I've certainly seen in the past, where a boy is totally settled, uh, he's got all of his mates in, the, in his team, let's say he's in the Puma team, uh, yes. he's really happy there, he loves the coach, feels really and committed, and, and that's, that's where he wants to play. How do you how do you manage that with a player if you think that that player then needs to perhaps go down a level in order to be able to express himself and develop? Perhaps he's the boy that needs two or three touches to get the ball under control, and and he's playing at a level where he's not being given that that time. How how would you? I suppose that's more in the social corner, but but it, but or the psychological corner. But it's it's um you know you know boys like to play with their friends. Boys like to especially at the younger age groups uh, and just want to have fun. And if they're in that kind of sort of beautiful situation where they're getting on and famously with everyone in the team and with the coaches and they don't want to move how, how would you approach a situation like that yeah i mean that that would be tough but again you've just got to stick with your principles i, I mean i'd approach the parent explain the situation they would have understand you know if they've been with us a while even a few months you'd, you'd definitely get the sense of what we're trying to achieve at brentwood um mm. that, that what we're trying to do and then you'd, you'd say look i mean they may be friends, but you'd, I'd always watch the boy and see if you think he's enjoying his football as well. Um, mm. th there's other things that go on. I can, uh, an example is we, we moved a boy into another side who who was not not struggling per se because he, he he had you know the skills were there, but he couldn't he, he didn't look sometimes he didn't look like he was getting involved on the pitch. So we moved him, and the following Christmas 
in Islam City, but the dad come up to us afterwards and said it was the first time since he's been playing football that he asked for a pair of football boots or a football kit for Christmas because he was really enjoying where he was playing. He, you know, he, yeah. he got his hat trick, he set up a goal, he, you know, he got clapped. Whereas initially, he struggled in a higher division. And that, and that means everything. You know, yeah. that means the boy's found his feet, he's able to express himself and skills. And then, and then you'd think the only way is up for that boy then. Yeah. The only way is up for that boy. So, you know, that, that's the reason we're trying to do it. And I'd also point to an example like that to the parent to explain mm. that this is why we are doing it. So it would be tough, but as long as you can prove an, an outcome to them that they can see, then uh, then hopefully they'd see, they'd see it's the right decision. Got it. Okay. So if we go back to the communication again and those four sort of key stakeholders in youth football, how, how, what does the, the communication look like to parents as they join the club in the first time, in the first instance, Michael, in terms of your philosophy and what will happen um, how, how do you ensure that everyone fully understands um, the club ethos, philosophy, and, and what you know, and what they um, might expect to see happen over the next sort of coming seasons? What, what does that communication look like? Because, in my view and, and experience, if the communication at the beginning isn't clear and you know, like crystal clear and, and and understood, then you can potentially set yourself up for heartache and, and problems down the line. No, totally. So I think what we what we would do is it would come it would come from the manager. Obviously, you have your uh, you have your managers' meeting, etc. The, the the people on the committee they're always around and approachable, but the manager would need to say at the beginning. Everyone's got their notorious um, team groups and they on WhatsApp. So yeah. you, you could you could set it up on there, but just spending time. So what we do at Brentwood as well is we have. Uh, once every month we have a pay for coach we pay for a coach to come in as well which enables me to step aside maybe one session in four to interact with the parents you know have a chat catch up um spew some you know just spew some stuff that i've seen or, or recently has happened that they may not know about and then you can start to build that rapport and understanding of, of what you're looking to do okay you, know, you need to spend time with the parents as you know you need to spend time with the parents as well for them to buy in buy into this idea Mm, absolutely absolutely and 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 do you find <coughs> it, it sounds um that you you do a pretty good job of that because if you're not really having any problems telling a parent that their boy is going to be going down a level um then you must have i would imagine done a great job at explaining that at the beginning because there's there's um no matter how much you might want to um be on board with that philosophy there's, there's still a little bit of an element of does that mean that my boy is failing or not doing quite as well you know perhaps inside a parent that that might sting a little bit even if they don't show it on the front oh, oh it would i think i think just but just making sure that they understand the kid you know the boy's six he's seven yeah. he's eight it's irrelevant you know and, and you could be talking about a boy goes down and he could it hasn't happened yet but he could go down and, and uh spend eight weeks somewhere and then he could you know score lots of goals he could you know be passing he could be dictating games and he's re he's ready to come back up again but it's yeah. finding confidence but just making them understand the age of the child and the development now is yeah. so important yeah. as well you know it's obviously key as it's the key to what you coach them the technical side of what you coach them as well but they all get okay. the same coaching all of our one thing we always do as well is the whole age group trains together it doesn't separate no teams go off and train on their own nights because that causes okay. other problems. So we all train together as an age group. So all the boys see each other anyway. There's a little bit of interaction between them anyway. We might go off and do our separate drills, depending on what needs to be done for each individual team. But they see each other all the time every week. So it does work well as well, like that. Okay, that's that's um, yeah, that sounds like quite good common sense. And so when, they, when they're sort of paired off into a team for that weekend, then it doesn't feel like, um, oh, I'm moving from this team to this team and I don't really know anyone in that team. They're kind of all... all, all 
in together so that's uh, that's interesting there's a lot of school overlaps as well you know you've got you've got a lot of kids schools in the area a lot of them know each other they might all not be in the same team but then they can see each other for all day then they see each other five minutes in the evening it, it doesn't matter what team they play for the weekend then yeah awesome and in terms of when a player joins the club what uh, is it again down to the manager to explain to the player uh, what the club's all about and, and what's expected of them Yes, what we'll do is we'll bring them over to a training session. I would have asked, generally, depending on if they played football before, what we found a lot recently is we've had a lot of the boys who've not kicked a ball before. So we're having to try and find um, a side that we can put at the furthest end to start. So yeah. find that, you know, if they haven't, then we've, what normally would happen then is they'd fall in with our, uh, our Panther side. And at the minute, you know, that, that grows that grows a little bit too big sometimes for the coaches to be able to, to handle. So it's making sure you obviously need a parent to step forward then to take them boys away and to start coaching them themselves. But we'll, we'll just see. I'll ask a few questions before and then I'll go and speak to the parent uh, during the session. And just, like I said, it's, it's, that's why it's, it's imperative. Right? You know, you get time to be able to spend time with the parents and you can start to say what you do. And they yeah. can understand why they, why they join the football club as well. Because there yeah. is a reason to join Brentwood because we've got this certain ethos. Yeah, awesome. In terms of the coaches then, um, we touched upon this a little bit already, but in terms of how you kind of vet them, I guess, in a way to make sure that they, they don't themselves Mourinho and, um, you know, think <laughs> that they've got to win every game, otherwise yes. they're not doing a good job. How do you make sure that you don't get that type of coach um, into the club? Because I could imagine that that could potentially sort of be a bit of a spanner in the works of uh, what you so what, what from the beginning you'd get the situation where it, if you're under sixes or under sevens whenever they start at a club a parent would step forward now you don't know yeah. that parent's ethos you don't know what the parent wants to do they might be initially a win at all costs but what they can see is the older through the early especially in the younger sides the success of the maybe say first and second sides which is bred from making sure that the boys have a place to go that they can develop and find their feet learn their skills and then eventually this will happen so you can explain very quickly that you know we just don't want you to stand there take all the best boys take them off go and play your matches shout and scream at the boys on the touchline parents getting shouting and scream on the touchline as well that's not what we do here but know that you've got the full backing of when we get two or three or four teams which inevitably happens that if there's boys there that need to be moved up into your side that will happen as well as long as you're willing to work the other way and aid the development of the weaker boys you, you know, it, it should work. It should work well, and just prove to them that it can be done, and they okay. will be. Absolutely. So, so, in so, in terms of the alignment then between players, parents, coaching, and uh, club, do you feel that you're um, you're in good shape there at Brentwood? Yes, I do. Yeah, absolutely. I found my home. I think Def most most certainly. Um, we're, we're growing all the time. But the, the, the teams are doing well. The boys play some excellent football as well. You know, we like to. It's another thing where we try to get you know get the ball on the floor and play it. Uh, lots of passing, but lots lots of being brave on the ball. I try to take that England DNA example back, um, and I'm fortunate that the coaches believe in that as well. That are in the age group, you know, carry that ball in dangerous situations. Personally, for me, I I never like to see the ball go out of play, even if it's going off for a goal kick or for throwing. I know some of my parents probably frown sometimes, but I'm telling my boys to keep the ball in because when yeah. they're getting closed down by two players. That's when I want to see what they what they're going to do, you know. Yeah. Under pressure, what decisions you're going to make. But you know, that's not for everyone. That's to do with your ind individual taste. But hopefully, little things like that will aid their development as well. Playing under pressure. 
Yeah, that's that's a really interesting one. Actually, I wrote an article recently after the um, the England Holland match um, where um, England gave the ball away. Stones gave the ball away, and uh, in fact, we gave the ball away twice, let two goals in. And Gary Neville uh, on the um, on the commentary afterwards said something which I think was absolutely spot on, and I kind of based a whole article around it. He said sometimes the problems aren't where you think they are. And if you're coaching a team to play out from the back and the defender loses the ball quite often, that defender's the one that gets shouted at or frowned upon or whatever. But it's usually there's a lack of movement in front of them and there's a lack of options for them to play forward. So I'd love to know how you manage to communicate that philosophy to the parents because they not not every parent's going to know football or see that. Uh, they're just going to see the, the immediate instance of that defender losing the ball and think, well, that defender can't play out, so we shouldn't be playing out. How, how do you make sure that the parents are sort of on the journey with you from a coaching point of view? I've just been consistent. I've just done it from day dot and I've made sure that I've made sure that we never we never boot the ball, the ball out from the goalkeeper. A, a, another example would be uh, on one of our other sides, the boy tried to roll his foot over the ball to dribble it out from the back, got tackled cost them a, go- a goal in a tight game but they spent the whole game playing a side that would boot- the goalie would literally boot the ball up the middle of the pitch Yeah, and you're standing there and you know we're standing there talking to the coach and, and we just totally agreed I'd rather he did that it might be the wrong skill it, you know it might just be a decision there that do the right thing he could want to take the boy on but I'd rather do that than pump the ball up the pitch down the middle yeah. So just just and all of the, all of our parents would know that's not what we do, and it's always commented on as in that you know we would you know not just sort of blowing our own trumpets here, but there'll be times where we will pass the ball from one end of the pitch to the other and score a goal. Now that you know that's much better than the you know the goalkeeper punting the ball out, but you know it's different different managers, different philosophies. It's just making sure that the parents know that's what we're going to do, and sometimes we're going to come unstuck. Sometimes yeah. we're going to lose a game because of it, but that. That is what we need the boys to do: learn to play under pressure because they'll reap the benefits in the future. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm totally in. A, um, from a philosophy point of view, I'm totally with you. I'll play out from the back every time we possibly can. Um, with, with your example of the boy tried to roll his foot over the ball and lost it, what I would say is um, what, what, what I try and do anyway is I try and break down the idea, the effort, and the outcome as three individual things. So, yep. did he have the right idea? If he did have the right idea was the effort right um maybe maybe you need to work on on the you know repetition on the effort yeah both of those things are right but you still didn't get the outcome where you can you've still got two things to praise you had the right idea uh and you tried the right thing but it didn't quite come off this time um so you know you can you can be much more positive as a coach and and say oh yeah good idea great effort you know um rather than uh you lost the ball you know so um I try and communicate that to, to my parents that, that, you know, those three things are quite separate to me. And while you might see success or failure, there's three things that sort of make up that success or failure. It's what they think, what they try and then what actually happens. And when it all comes off and when it all comes off together, the parents are over the moon with what their, what their boys have achieved. Of course. You know, they, yeah. when, they, when they move that ball, when they keep the ball for 30 passes, when, they, you know, they're holding on to ball in tight situations and come out dribbling with the ball, you know, they're over the moon. So you've got to take the rough with the smooth as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, so this has all been really positive, and, and it's been been great chat to you. But there, there must be some challenges um, in in sort of delivering your philosophy, whether that be with players or with parents or coaches. What what are some of those challenges that you that you can face? I definitely think as we get into older age groups with league tables and, and results based, it will be more it will be more difficult. But that's why right now is the time to work on the the footballing side because, as you know, I suppose as the kids get older. The, the winning mentality will kick in more for, for parents when, they, you know, when there's a trophy in front of them as well. You do notice it a little bit at the tournaments, actually. When you go to the mm. tournaments, the atmosphere changes. A tight game, a local derby becomes a little bit different when it's the semi-final. 
Um, yeah. So it's just, it's just it, the, the challenge is, is just you know sticking to what you believe, keeping implementing that through your coaching sessions and the way that you manage throughout the matches. And you will come out. And I mean, I believe I will come out the other side. You know, with a, a very with a successful team, and at the same time, if not successful, the boys would have got a great grounding, and they would have definitely developed uh, developed really well as players. Yeah, and people, and people as well. Yeah, Matt, absolutely. Yeah. So, if I was to give you a blank canvas and say that you could um, grassroots football is going to start again from today. Uh, what template and ideas would you give to those stakeholders that we talked about? So, what would you what would you say from your experience so far, Michael? What do you say that clubs should be looking to do? What would you say uh, the younger age groups in grassroots football should be looking to do? Uh, what what advice would you give to parents um, and and players as well? I would definitely like to see. I mean, for clubs, I think communication is key. Uh, to the parents about ideas and philosophies. I, I can't imagine there's a club out there that just says, you know, we're, we're going to win at all costs. We're going to boot the ball. We're going to get it out of the fence, and we, you know, we, we're not we're not going to play. You know, we're not going to play through the lines. We get, we know, we're going to hit it long. I, I don't believe in that. But maybe if they just the clubs took a little step back and were able to, were able to start with making sure that the boys, you know, have a lot of technical time, lots of touches of the football from day dot. That that would be a great start as well. And as far as the um, the managers and the players, I just think they've all got to be on the same on the same page, making sure that I'd like to see a lot more smaller sided games actually for some yeah. of the younger age groups instead of even at five aside. You know, maybe starting with two or three aside uh, for a very short period of time as well. So a lot more sort of physical contact and one on ones to be able to you know be comfortable on the ball in, in pressure situations as well. In yeah. a, small, a much smaller sided game just to start, and then from there you probably could work out the parents could work out very quickly that. It is about the boys holding on to the ball and keeping the ball and, and passing and moving as well as opposed to as opposed to just winning. Because when their boy can control a football, you know, execute a, a difficult volley, you know, take that ball out of the sky, they'll be they'll be really pleased with what they've learned. Yeah. I mean just putting two things together there that you that you said, I think that's really important. My boys are going into under thirteens now, but when I was at sort of under sevens, under eights, we did a lot of um two v two uh, 3v3 or even 3v2 and there's so many benefits to that you touched upon one which is they get more touches of the ball so there's the repetition to practice yeah but from a coaching point of view as well quite often if you're an under sevens coach at um at grassroots level typically not always but typically as we've already discussed you're a parent that didn't step back quick enough and you were the last one you know you were the nearest front and you got you got lumbered if, if you like so you might not have like, like a huge amount of coaching experience at that stage. Um, everyone has to start somewhere and typically it starts, you know, at the beginning of the grassroots journey. And so you might not, in a, in a sort of 5v5 game, you might not be able to sort of properly observe at that time what each player needs. But if, you can, if you're watching a 2v2, so yes. much easier to coach, so much easier to focus on, you know, your learning topic and outcomes and, and see how the players are doing with that and, and to be able to drop information in. So uh, there's less so, to look at. There's less to look at. So of course. Obvious, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think as well, like one thing we do, just one one maybe final point is in our league that we were uh, we play in a minute, the Brentwood Community Alliance, they do uh, compulsory, compulsory, but every once, every four weeks you play futsal match. Mm-hmm. So instead of a, instead of your standard match, we go and play futsal. Okay. Uh, which is which is quite different, and like we spoke earlier about sort of my love for futsal and the way that there's been um, vision futsal was set up in in our area in Brentwood, and a lot of my boys enjoy it. And it's just something another place where you can go and get lots of touches of the ball, and how important that will be for the, for the boys going forward as well. Yeah, it's, it's certainly a um, a huge uh, wave of futsal coming over the country, isn't there? Um, yeah, absolutely. 
Long may that continue as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So, any, any, I mean, you, you touched upon it, the boys enjoy it. So anything that the boys can go get physical exercise, you know, be off their PlayStations or whatever, um, yeah. be out and about getting exercise, developing physically, uh, communication, you know, learning teamwork and having fun, then it's got to be a good thing. And, and I think one thing just for the coaches as well is, is is networking and getting out there and meeting the different managers. I mean, the local local managers to me, we all get on really well and they go to the futsal. The boys will play together as well from different clubs. So they all know each other. They've got different sets of friends, all from different schools. And just making sure, you know, you're available to, to talk and be there with the other managers as well, because it's not a it doesn't have to be adversarial. You know, mm. you can you can be friends and you can message each other and, and meet up and, and just go through it all together because you're going through the same experience at the same time as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and the final stakeholder that we didn't uh, touch upon in any great detail at the end there, Michael, is the is the parents. Now, obviously, everyone's different, uh, which makes the world interesting, I suppose. Um, some some parents have, as uh, long as my boy's having fun, I'm happy. Um, and other parents are perhaps a little bit more, um, he's the next Ronaldo and he should be playing up for the first team type uh, parents. Do you, do you have any way... Or would you even try to sort of try and ascertain that before you accepted boys into the club? Or uh, how do you communicate to a parent like that who's, who's going to be pushing to, you know, for his boy to be playing as high as he possibly can? Not saying, again, that that's right or wrong, but that, you know, different personalities, different uh, values, I guess, uh, and, and, you know, uh, reasons for being involved in football. How, how would you work with a parent like that who is, is trying to push you? Have you had that experience and, and how would you deal with that? I think it, it, I think by having the structure of the the boys being able to move through the sides, the obviously the first with the, the the first team would be the strongest and hopefully playing in that top division as well. They should find their outlet and obviously if they're better than that, then there'll be you know academies etc would start to get involved. So having that outlet and structure that that the boy can move and if you've got a pushy parent, you know, and they're screaming on the touchline. I mean, personally, my parents are excellent and and the, but I wouldn't have it. So, I, I, but that's just my character. I'd be going up to them, trying to explain, you know, I don't need you to tell, you know, keep going, don't shoot in situations that they don't need to. Let them be. Let's see what they can do and, de- and deal with it that way. But, you, you know, I, I do sit there on the other side sometimes and, you know, we might be losing occasionally and you, you'll see the other parents and they're, you know, they're screaming, that they're sensing blood and you sort of wonder where they come from sometimes. You just want to sort of get hold of them and, and you know... You know a situation where they might have a go at their boy for missing an opportunity, and you can see the boy's shoulders go over, and mm. you can see his head go down a little bit, and you might talk to the other coach, and they'll agree that the parent, you know, the parents on their back. But it's a very tough situation for for coaches to to deal with. But I think just stay strong and 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 stick with what you believe in, because if you do believe in that ethos of you know the kids finding their right level, that boy will eventually find his right level. If he is the next Ronaldo, he won't be with you long. You know, in all fairness, so let no. him, you know the proof's in the pudding. But quite often, the parent that thinks that their boy's the next Ronaldo isn't necessarily the next Ronaldo. Um, but you know that they perhaps looking at him through rose-tinted glasses um, and and perhaps think he's better than than you might think he is, for example. So maybe, uh, maybe. But I do think as well, if he's playing in yours, if he's playing in my side, in my side will be boys of the same of the of the same calibre. Yeah. So the parents should be able to, you know, if his parents, if he's standing out of them, that set of boys then he will be moving on. But he should, you know, it being amongst other boys that have got likewise ability. So, yeah. you know, you should be able to see that the other boys are good as well. So it's not just his boys. So hopefully it would nullify it. But, you know, we have to wait and see on that one. Yeah. So just just finally, I'd, I'd love to go back to the the idea that, that you guys have there, the, the age group trains together. How yes. do you, across the different coaches, um, so, so is, is it correct, if I've understood you correctly, 
so on a Wednesday night, whatever it is, all of the, all of the age group come together to train. But yes. then there's a manager for each team that then goes off at the weekend and takes their team to whatever game that they have. Is that correct? Yes. Well, essentially, but what we do is during so the five managers managers would turn up on a Wednesday. All the boys would go to their respective managers. But that from that from there they'll be coached in their groups. But for example, I would take last year. I take the, uh, the first and second side, the Lions and the Tigers. I would coach them together. Right. Um, that's just the way it was. Obviously, as squads get bigger, you can't always do that. No. So next year, but the, the fact that they all turn up on the same night, they probably will get there a little bit early, keep the ball around together, and then sometimes you know, if, if, sometimes some people like to do a match at trainings at the end. We can move the players around. Our club provides goalkeeper training as well. Um, for the goalies, so the goalkeepers will go together off. They go off anyway together, and then sometimes if someone's short, we can move the boys around as and when. Okay, so so who's responsible for making sure that the um, the development of each individual sort of follows the child, if you if you like? So if um, little Johnny's been playing in the Tigers and then he moves to the Lions, how, how do we make sure that the information that the coaches have on his his development today moves along with him? So it would just be from interaction with the, it would just be interaction between the managers. We do, there's a little bit of overlap where some, some of our boys, like I said, will play up or down depending on who short players as well, because that happens. And then you'll get feedback from the manager about, cool, he played with this side, this boy was really good. And then it's just someone to keep an eye out. And then at training, you can have a little look and see how, they, how they're getting on as well. Then recently, silly things as well. We had our fun day recently and we mixed, we done a little competition where there was one from each team, basically as a little mini tournament. Yeah. So you could read, you could see again where there was one from the Lions, one from the Tigers, one from the Pumas, etc. And you could see how the boys got on then. So if obviously there's a, there's a player in the Pumas or the Leopards that's standing out and he's playing against some other boys as well, it's, you know, you can take note then as well. So a lot of interaction and a lot of viewing of each other's players that goes on the training and with the overlapping of players. Okay, fantastic. So do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share before we, uh, we wrap up? I just know, just, you know, just for all the coaches out there, just, just be positive. I mean, I'm going into, I'm just going to start taking my youngest. He's going to go into under sevens next season. So just starting. So I'm going to start this all over again. I'm not managing the side at the minute, but that might, that might or may not happen in the future. But um, I just want it to be a positive experience for him and be able to express himself and enjoy himself. Because now I've done it for two or three years, especially with the children, with it being so different to adults. I can see of how much, I can see how much that affects the children. When you know, when you're screaming on them at the touchline, even as a manager, you know, positivity that was great, thumbs up, all these sort of things. And then afterwards, maybe where you get your tactics balled out or your bullet points, you can put your little bits and pieces and just drop your little one or two free or three bits in there just yeah. for them to remember. Because anything more than that is too much. You know, I, I remember playing, um, there was a futsal match, but it was a couple of years ago, and, and the, the guy there was like, there was like six years old, and the guy's screaming, back door, back door, watch the, watch the boy at the back door. And you're looking, thinking, that boy does not know what the yeah, back door, yeah. you know, he just doesn't know what that is. So just making I mean, sure it's age relevant and, and knowing what they can and can't, can't understand. Yeah, absolutely. Keep it positive um, is, is absolutely key. I mean, we, <clears throat> we've all got our horror stories, I'm sure, of, of coaches we've seen. I remember, um, I think, under sevens or under eights. Uh, playing against uh, a coach who was screaming, he was so negative. He said, "Guys, this is so naive. This is awful." And and it, sometimes it's very easy to focus on maybe what players can't do, um, mm. but if you can accentuate what they can do, um, that there's there's a saying, isn't there? That players won't remember what you told them; they'll they'll remember how you made them feel. Absolutely. So, um, I think positive reinforcement and and really celebrating and and developing what people can do while trying to, you know, slowly work on what they can't do, I think is, is massive, isn't it? Yes, paramount, absolutely.
Awesome. Well, Mike, I've really enjoyed uh, this conversation. I think it could go on for hours. Um, so maybe we'll do it again sometime. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, and, uh, you know, um, we're, we're, we'll now share this on all of our social channels. Please share it as well. Hopefully we'll get some conversation going, some good conversation with fellow coaches about this this topic and, um, and how we can all learn from each other. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for your time as well. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you. All the best. Bye now. Bye.